listening to MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna Louise, Veronica Ciccone. Hey everybody, it's Stefan. Hey guys, it's Tony, and um, you only love me more when I'm miles away. <laughs> oh, such a good track. Uh, everybody, today on the show, we welcome writer Mark Andrews, who wrote the new book, Madonna Song by Song. Welcome to hey. the show, Mark. Hi, Hi thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. And I just wanted to say, any Ukrainian Madonna fans out there, we're thinking of you. Yes, we are. Uh, Mark, where are you? You're, you're calling from across the pond today, yes? I am. I'm from sunny London, and that's something we don't say very often here. Yeah, especially an Aussie in London would not use the word sun in... Yeah, well, I moved, I moved to London for love uh, and for marriage, which is a little bit very Madonna-esque, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we're very happy that uh, we were able to schedule this call with you. I read you. your book this week, and I'm, I'm just excited to talk to you about it and everything else that you've been up to. Thank you. Well, hopefully you can understand my accent, and my hang- accent hasn't got too English, too. So No, you, you don't sound like Madonna, Guy Ritchie era at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laboring to hear your uh, Aussie inflections. I, I'm very well-versed in Australian slang, so you know, well, you're going to have to step we, it up. We speak to her, and G'day, mate. How you going? Yeah. <laughs> my God, I thought this. I thought it was Hugh Jackman for a second. <laughs> Nicole Kidman? I, I, what? I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, before we dive into some questions, I will give you a proper introduction. Born in Melbourne, so I'm going to actually, I'm going to mess this up. I always say Melbourne. 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 Like, like Melbourne. Melbourne. Just very, very quick. Melbourne. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Born in Melbourne. There, it's, it's my, my accent's terrible with that. Mark Andrews worked at Smash Hits in Australia and Smash Hits UK. He authored Madonna, the unofficial story, Madonna, the material girl down under, and contributed to classic pops madonna special he has worked at media week mail online and dna magazine he's also the author of revelations two weeks in tel aviv pop life inside smash hits australia 84 to 2007 and we need to talk my life as a doggone celebrity journalist so uh and you're wearing a fantastic madonna justify my love photoshoot t-shirt it's, 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 it's very nice the, um, justify my book tech tank top do you, you call it white beaters or tank tops tank tops yeah tank tops. a white beater is the the white one okay okay well tank top it is yeah. then yeah I, and i like it God, I, that's a fantastic photo shoot it was it was an amazing and, and you know what it was perfect for that record too if you think about it i mean this was the perfect match of visuals with the music wasn't it oh yeah no, it, it needed to be everything needed to be stripped down um from the excess of immaculate collection and and then it was almost like a reset for madonna and and then boom the clothes came off Exactly. Madonna as gay leather man was perfect for Justify My Love, really. Madonna went Tama Fidland, and I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, let's get started. Um, It's very well documented that Australian Madonna fans are incredibly loyal, and they are legion. So tell us what it was like growing up in Australia as a Madonna fan, and what was your Madonna journey like? Uh, Well, very quickly then... um, 
So Madonna and I go all the way back to 1984, which may be mm. even before some of you are born. Listen Vintage. Yeah, Vintage. we do too. We, we do as well. Good. Um, and uh, so I remember the first time I went into a gay bar, which was in Brisbane, Australia, and that was 1984, and I heard two songs being played. One was Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Around Like a Record, and that made the place go off like a crazy party. And the other record they played was Madonna's Burning Up, and that turned the place literally into a sleaze pit. And I was like, that's my job. <laughs> and uh, from then on, me and Madonna, we were never far apart. And uh, that same year, I had my first boyfriend, and he bought me my first Madonna record, which, of course, was a 12-inch, um, and the 12-inch of like a, like a Virgin. Oh, nice. But, Mark, let me stop you right there. I mean, um, actually, in, in reading your book, I discovered that Burning Up was a bigger hit in Australia than it was anywhere else. Uh, why do yeah, you think that was? That's, that's because of the TV show Countdown. So you may have, through uh, the 80s, you may have seen this strange Australian called Ian Molly Meldrum interviewing Madonna. Yeah, Darius. Molly Meldrum. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Merry <laughs> Christmas, Australia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he was a very early proponent of Madonna. So, you know, back in 83, it would have been. And he getting her video on the show, getting her, he would go over to uh, New York and had her filming on the street yeah. saying, who is this Marley anyway? And stuff like this. And they became very close friends. And they kept that connection for years and years and years. And so obviously when she came to Australia for, for the first time, which was uh, 93 for the girl show Down Under, you know, she, and, she went oh. and had dinner at his place. So that, that's how close they are, basically. Oh, I love that. Here's one of the reasons, sorry, why Burning Up was a big hit, because it was on the Countdown TV show, which was shown Saturday and Sunday nights. So that constant rotation of uh, the video, you know, uh -huh. what Madonna noticed any in the charts in Australia. Indulge me with this, with an answer to my question. So was that show Countdown on before or after Young Talent Time? It was on, sometimes it's on at the same time. So you actually had to choose. Am oh, I going to watch Kylie Minogue's sister, Danny, or am I going to watch Madonna? I know. Yeah, so big choices. Or watching Danielle perform Madonna songs, right? Exactly. So, you know, big call. So, yeah. It was like Sophie's Choice in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how difficult that was for us young gay boys in Australia at the time. So you got a 12-inch of Like a Virgin and, did, and yes. Love at First Sight. and Love at First Sight. And, uh, yeah, then so um, I was a fan then for the next couple of years, listened to her records and bought them, obviously. Um uh, my first CDs were Madonna. I won a competition, actually, and I won five, Madonna, I think five Madonna CDs. I won a Who's That Girl competition. You had to describe Madonna, in, and I just wrote, she's that girl, and underlined it, and I won the competition. <laughs> <laughs> My winnings were to win the entire Madonna collection on CD, which then at that time was like five CDs. Um, so um, that, they were all my first CDs, the Madonna ones. So uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, then obviously I started work at Smash It in 1988, which of course is the one year of the 1980s when Madonna did nothing. Yeah, she was busy in New York that year. She was, I mean, she did a lot, but she didn't record any music. You know? Exactly. So, you know, there was, there was lots of other stuff going on. So that was, you know, I had, had, had Kylie Minogue to keep me very busy for that first year anyway. Then of course 1989 happened and then all hell broke loose just like a prayer. Well, let's get into um, some smash hit stuff. So you've co-written a book called Inside Smash Hits Australia, 1984 to 2007. And yep. you've also spent time working <laughs> in both the UK and Aussie editions. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was like a big consumer of Smash Hits UK in the 80s. I used to write into them. And one time they actually printed one of my questions. Did you get a badge? No, I just, it was a question about Boy George because he was my number one 
all-time pop star, you know. Okay. You know, Boy um, George, I interviewed Boy George in 1989. When I, the first time I came to London, I brought a competition winner over from Australia for Smash Hits, and I interviewed um, Boy George because he was he just happened to be at the record company at Virgin. They're like, you do you want to speak to George? And I was like, George who? And they're like, Boy George, of course. So Boy George was there, and I went and interviewed him, and um, he hated Madonna. It's just, I remember he hated Madonna, and he and. Uh, he said something, and he said, so do you like Madonna? And I said, yeah, I do. And he says, how can you like her? How can you like her? I remember I went to her birthday party, and she blew the candle out, and then that she stood up and she said, uh, that's the best blowjob I've had all year kind of thing. I mean, who says that? <laughs> well, you just answered my next question. I was going to you know, uh, tell our listeners, you know, aside from Madonna, what were some notable pop names or highlights, you know, that you kind of came in contact with while you were at Smash Hits. But also um, a lot of our listeners in the U.S. may not be familiar with Smash Hits and its influence on pop yeah. music in yeah. other parts of the world. So please uh, kind of fill us in. Yeah, I'll give you the brief little history. So Smash Hits started in the U.K. in 1978 so uh it was considered the well it's still considered the pop music bible i guess so you know this is before we had the internet before there were smartphones before we had wikipedia so if you wanted to know what was happening with your favorite artist or who this person was you bought smash hits every fortnight um and so in 1984 they launched an australian edition and at the same time they also launched the u.s edition and the u.s edition was called star hits for the first few years yeah i remember it and they were very big. They always had Duran Duran all over the covers for years and years and years. Um, and so, yeah, so I started at 88, was there in Australia for two years, then went to the UK edition for two years. And then I was asked to become back to be the editor for Smash It's uh, Australia from 1992 to 1995. And I think the really interesting thing here is the very different approach that the Smash It's Australia took towards Madonna towards, and the Smash It's UK took. So um, you may recall, if you were watching the beginning of the Madame X Live Theatre experience, at the beginning there's this bit where all the, the bad press that she's accumulated over the years sort of comes, topples on top of yeah. each other. And at mm -hmm. the very end, smack bang on top, is this big double-page feature from Smash It's UK, from the girly show. And the headline is, Calm Down Grandma. And I remember at the time, I mean, so obviously Madonna's really still, still thinks that there's too much. I remember at the time thinking, oh, they just think they're so funny. But if you think about it now, yeah. like in retrospect, it really was so ages. I mean, yeah, she was 35. Yeah. Yeah. She hadn't even had totally. her first child. And uh, it was totally misogynistic as well. I mean, really. So, uh, so that was their approach. And they were also, I remember when the, the sex book came out and everything, they had a big headline, has she gone too far and all this kind of thing. Whereas Smash It's Australia... We were very sex positive, and I remember we had tear sheets of the sex book in the magazine, and nobody battered an eyelid. And this was a magazine for teenagers, so two very different, <laughs> two very different approaches to. And so I think you can see two very different cultures when the magazines reflected that, which is very interesting. Yeah, I know. I remember Star Hits barely covered Madonna uh, after she got rid of the. Uh, like a virgin bangles and you know the street urchin look they stopped kind of covering her and it yeah. became more about um yeah like you said duran duran and you know all the teen idols like bras and um yeah. you know bucks fizz and all that stuff but yeah it was it was like not happening for madonna with star hits and, and yeah but i had a, a funny question too i remember reading somewhere that um uh Oh, I forgot who wrote it, but it was like they were smash. They were talking about smash hits, and they were saying it's like, yeah, they're on the payroll with Stock Ike and Waterman. That's why the <laughs> magazine's like full of you know. Stock Ike and Waterman were really a big part of why smash hits suddenly became a huge sensation because 
you know, it was just this blend of great pop music. I mean, there's some classic music there, Rick Astley, Bananarama, Mel and Kim, uh, Dead or Alive, I mean, just to name a couple, the Donna Summer record. Mandy Smith. Yeah, you know, the Mandy Smith, she couldn't sing. I mean, but, and she was a teenage, teenage um, uh, wife of uh, Bill Wyman, but one of her songs, they gave yeah. to Kylie Minogue as her next single. So actually, it worked out exactly. quite well, really. But, um, I, mean, was, I think it was never too late, yeah. No, it was got to be certain was the one that they gave from Mandy. Oh, they said, you okay. can't sing it. Well, we'll give this to Kylie because they didn't actually have a follow-up single ready for Kylie because they didn't imagine she was going to be successful. Um, it was very interesting. So because I actually, I don't want to sort of preempt this too much, but, you know, I've actually written the Kylie Minogue song by song book, which is due to come out at the end of next month as well. We were going to talk about that a little later. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Tell all of our listeners also about your Facebook page dedicated to Smash Hits and what they can find on that. And um, I'm guessing because it's Facebook, uh, that's a good place for them to connect with other Fans of yes, it's called Poptastic. I guess if you just look for Poptastic Smash Hits, it, it'll come up. So the shocking thing is, uh, so we want when I was writing the Smash Hits Australia book, this is after the Smash Hits edition had closed, uh, all of the archives just got thrown away, just got trashed. And I mean, and this will kill any Madonna fan as well, because we used to have it Smash Hits. We had these big files kept of all the big stars. And in those files, we had press clippings, cuttings, and we had all these color transparencies of photos and things. All of that got thrown away. And it's subsequently, also, we've also found out that that happens to the UK. They threw everything away. So what now happens is there's a couple of uh, Smash It fans who are amazing people. And if they're listening to this, you know, thank you so much. They've gone and scanned as many issues as they can find and sort of put them as an archive. And we go through and curate that on a daily basis. So, um, you know, like 40 years ago, Yazoo were on the cover of Smash It's, and uh, right, 30 years right. ago, Mark Mark was on the cover. Or, uh, you know, today is the birthday of Kathy Dennis. This is when she was on the cover. And also, you know, because mm. people, like, last year we had Nick Kamen, you know, who was a close associate of Madonna's for a while. He passed. Yeah. And uh, so, so we went back and dug through all the stuff that he'd done. Uh, and he had a front cover of Smash Hits and lots of other stuff as well. So, you know, we archived that and curated that as well. So, you know, if you're into pop music, it's a really great place. Tomorrow's we've got a fantastic thing on uh, the on Vogue, 32 years since Vogue was released. You know, we found the song word. Exactly. The song word, there's an amazing ad. I don't know if anyone's seen the ad that Warner Music UK did, which is beautiful. It's like a work of art. And we've got that. Plus, we've got the original review of, of uh, Vogue that Smash It did, which is hilarious because they oh, got nice. it so wrong. They just say, <laughs> this song is so boring, it's never going to work. I mean, wow. you believe it. And the, I know the journalist who wrote this, and just as a little adjunct to that, that journalist, I remember, had tickets to Blonde Ambition. And the next day, on the Monday morning, I saw them in the office and they said, oh, I decided I'd just stay home and watch TV and not go. <gasps> What? Oh my God! <laughs> I can hear Jaws collectively dropping around the globe at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, wow. and, uh, Rocky just reminded me. Actually, the first time my friends and I saw Nick Kamen was in Star Hits or Smash Hits, and yeah. I mean, we were obsessed. I mean, we had to wait like two months for that album to like show up and. I mean, it wasn't that great, but still, it was amazing <laughs> to discover him and to know that he worked with Madonna. You know. Yeah, the Madonna track he did was, was, was kind of good. The rest of the album, not so good. The second album he did had the Tell Me track, which is pretty good, actually. Yeah, Tell Me is so it, good, yeah. Actually, the track after that, which probably no one in the U.S. has ever heard, I Promise Myself, is terrific. If you want the ultimate mm -hmm. sort of, you know, Euro disco song. I mean, it was number one in Italy, number one all over Europe, and it was a great big hit. And that was, 
1990, I think it was, because I remember driving around yeah. Europe in 1990 and just hearing that everywhere. And it was like, wow, that's a great Nick Clayman song. Yeah, I just think it's hilarious because now kids find music on TikTok and I had to find it in a magazine and then have to go find the actual music to listen to. You know, yeah. it's like a two-step uh, authentication Exactly. It's, it's so much easier. Now. I mean, if you want to find a bit Nick Clayman, just go to YouTube, look at all the videos and, uh, yeah, you know, right. go to Wikipedia page and you can read all that stuff kind of thing. So, I mean, yeah, there's so much available, but that's also something about my book too. I mean, there is so much available out there now that it's almost too much. And it's, a lot of it's very dry. It can be often very academic, sometimes almost like they're writing dissertations. And I often feel it kind of can suck the joy and the passion out of the music and the artist. And so what I wanted to do with my book, in particular the Madonna book, was that I wanted to make sure that it was fun, but not forensic. That was my key goal mm-hmm. for the book. But you well, accomplished that for yeah. sure. So before, we, we will get to the book in a little bit. I did have another question about your tenure at Smash Hits. You had the unique opportunity to be in Madonna's presence as a journalist during many sought-after high-level events. So I, I believe we know about the Truth or Dare pr- premiere in Cannes, where she yeah. had the big open jacket big reveal. reveal. Yeah. Big reveal and then yeah. you also were... Uh, you attended the girly show down under. So tell us right. about those and any other close encounters you had with the queen. Yeah. Take your time. We're going to be quiet and let you tell the story. <laughs> I'm, just to, I'm just trying to think of all the important ones. I have to also say that one of the greatest things that I ever did or at smash hits was speak to Liz Rosenberg. I mean, Liz Rosenberg, nice. who people may not remember, was you know Madonna's spokesperson for literally most of her career, pretty much until she left Warner, which would have been what, 2008, I guess. And um, she was hilarious. I mean, I remember I did a feature for Smash It's UK and we, ha- we were going through all the rumors that according, you know, about Madonna kind of thing. And Liz said, okay, just hit me up with them. And I mean, she was literally like a Jewish stand-up comedian, she was. And so you'd go through them. And I remember I asked her, so there's a rumor that Madonna might be Bart Simpson's girlfriend in The Simpsons. And she went, ha, he wishes. And that was it. I mean, that's all you needed. That was the perfect, <laughs> the perfect response. I mean, she was just boom, boom, boom kind of thing. And she was, she was fantastic, I have to say. And that was one of, one of my joys was talking to Liz Rosenberg. And uh, I really hope that in the biopic that's coming up that she features in that because I think that's such an important relationship. You know, here she was a female um, you know, VP or, you know, management executive at a record company, sure. which didn't happen very often. And Madonna, the you know the world's biggest pop star, one of the world's biggest pop stars, and together that you know the success they created, you know it would be a real shame if that's not part of that biopic. I think because she's such an important part of the Madonna story. Anyway, that's my little Liz Rosenberg spiel. I'm gonna put a phone call through to Bette Midler. I think she'd be perfect for the role. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah. So the two big events. So <laughs> the truth of this. So uh, I was working at Smash It's UK in 1991. That was when they sent me to the Cannes Film Festival for the premiere and the party and the launch of uh, Truth or Dare, which was known as In Bed with Madonna in the rest of the world. Um, and yeah, it, it should have been glamorous and fabulous. I mean, obviously there's that the big moment where she walked up the red carpet and turned around, dropped the coat, and there she's in her panties and uh, her bra and <laughs> a, dirty, a dirty grin on her face. And the world's like, wow. And, and that, that just splashed across the world, of course, that, that image. Um, Alec Kishishin was there doing press. Uh, most of her dancers were there um, for the premiere. And also there was, of course, the big, big, big party that Harvey Weinstein put, put in the bill for because, you know, he was one of the people yeah. who were involved in um, producing the movie. So I remember being at the party. I had Tina Turner standing on one side of me. 
I had Dolph Lundgren, who you may recall was kind of like... <laughs> oh, Jack. he was so and hot back in that time. The Scandinavian Sylvester Stallone on the other side. And then I had Harvey Weinstein. Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren is the only... He is the only reason why I watched that terrible he-man masters of the universe movie was because it was <laughs> Dolph Lundgren in just basically shirtless in a like a loincloth the entire movie exactly. anyway. look at if it was good enough for grace jones it must have been good good so that's all i can say <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so he was there at the party and then i remember madonna and her entourage literally came in and madonna's not a tall person in case anyone doesn't know that she's quite small and most of her entourage are also quite small and i'm i'm like six foot two so I'm just sort of standing there, and it's literally like watching a hovercraft move past you, like this this sort of cluster of Madonna and, and co, whooshing past, like, whoosh, like a hovercraft kind of thing, and uh, it went into this party. And, yeah, it was fabulous. It was amazing. But I remember also that I was so sick. I had the worst food poisoning while I was there in Cannes. Oh, no. Something that i eaten. So trying to be at the premiere, trying to do this story, trying to interview Alec Kishishin, chasing after him and uh, do, doing this party, it was just a nightmare. But course it looks fabulous in the magazine so that was the important thing mm-hmm. so that was, that, was my, that was my truth of their story the girly show is quite a different story so that was when madonna first came to australia for the um the girly show tour 1993 I and mean, literally australia stopped for two weeks um and yeah. uh, matt, matt from madonna australia facebook if you're listening to this i love you i love your work um so they, this, Madonna was there. She was staying in a hotel just down the road from our office at Smash It's actually. There were crowds of people outside the hotel, which is the same hotel, by the way, where Michael Hutchins killed himself a couple of years later. But that's oh, another wow. Story. Yes, yes. Um, so it's quite famous for that respect. Um, but uh, so, yes, yeah, so Madonna was there and she had, they had, her record label had this big, big party for her down at um, Darling Harbour in Sydney it was, and I was invited which was nice. And I had my plus one. Now, my plus one was my fabulous friend, Justin. Justin, if you're listening, I love you too. Um, he had a pair of bright tanks <laughs> made specially for the party, as you would, of course. And uh, as we got to the entrance, he saw there was a big gaggle of drag queens at the entrance. And he, of course, knew them all. And he whooshed up to them. I think one of them was even called Mogadonna, by the way. And um, <laughs> he went up, up to the drag queens. And, and, of course, he went in and they went straight up to the VIP area where Madonna was. And so I had to stay awesome. downstairs with the celebrities. Is how terrible is that? Eating the free food and, and dancing and stuff. And uh, if you're an Australian listening to this, you'll know that there were sort of like home and away celebrities like Peter Brummer, Melissa George, who became quite well known later on for doing Ooh, yeah. um, and Kate Ritchie, who also became a radio announcer in Australia. And at some point in the proceedings, everything stopped at the party and the show came on. And uh, because this is still the erotica era, so... Um, there was a performance of a simulated flogging, and I think it was in rubber or latex or something, on a podium. And uh, Madonna decided oh, yeah. she was going to come. She, of course, was going to come out and watch this. So she came out with all the gaggle of dragons and my friend Justin. They stood and came down the stairs into the middle of the stairs. I was underneath the stairs with my home and away celebrity buddies, and uh, I remember Kate and she uh, touching Madonna's foot and silently screaming, I touched Madonna's foot. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, so the, the show's going on. And then, of course, my friend Justin just couldn't stop himself. And at some point, he just said, oh, they're not doing it properly. To which Madonna turned to him and said, well, why don't you show them how it's done there? And That's he was right. He was speechless. He didn't know what to say, which never happens to him. But, you know, he'd been spoken to by greatness, of course. So that was quite special for him. 
Um, and so anyway, the show continued. Afterwards, I remember I went to see Donna Droy. So if you Google images of that party, the, the defining image is Madonna lying on a surfboard, being surrounded by all these Australian lifeguards who stripped down to their speedos. They had like long blonde hair and uber tan kind of thing. And Madonna kind of looking like, what the fuck, what's going on here kind of thing. And I remember Donna's glory was running around the party and I went up to her because I'd interviewed her the day before. And I said, so Donna, is Madonna enjoying herself here? And she's like, you know what? Those guys, so not Madonna. She's so not into this. And, I, and later on, of course, I realized, well, she was probably dating Tupac Shakur at the time, if you think about it, 1993. So mm-hmm. she wouldn't have been into these guys, that's for sure. Um, but I had just one little smashing story that I remember that I thought was quite interesting. So when we were at the magazine, and this is when Madonna was in the country, a famous Australian photographer came into our office. His name's Tony Mott. Uh, M-O-T-T. And he brought with him this set of photos, transparencies, as we call them, uh, of Madonna, all dressed in her cricket gear. So if you've ever seen the cricket whites they wear when they play cricket, cricket hat on and the, the pants, and she had the cricket bat, all these amazing photos, oh, wow. the photo shoot that she'd done at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And we were like, oh my God, this is amazing. What an exclusive. This is going to be such a great front cover. And next day, Liz Rosenberg calls. Madonna oh, wow. wants to keep this for her private collection. Sorry. And that was that. <laughs> so those, those photos we got to see, but no one else has ever seen them. And I don't know where those photos are, but somewhere there's amazing photos of Madonna playing cricket in Australia. They'll, they'll come out later, I'm sure. Well, one would hope so. Maybe that should be on the deluxe edition of The Girly Show Down Under or something, perhaps. There you go. The re-release. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. When we finally get all that stuff that we've been promised by this new deal from Warner, that's what I'm hoping because – you know, Madonna's back catalogue has been so badly looked after and tenured. You know, when you compare yeah. it to what to what male artists of her stature have gotten, it is shameful totally. that you know we've got we've gotten such bad stuff. I mean, this year we have to get a special erotica, you know, special edition. Next year is twenty five years of Ray, right? Next year is twenty five years of Ray Alive. There has to be something special for that, surely. You know, that's my hope anyway. Um, I, I believe we're we're going to get like an HD video released, and um, and yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. Well, you know, look, I would like to see the you know the the just the ABBA things, for example, the ABBA deluxe editions of their albums. You get an album, which is a CD of the original album plus extra tracks, bonus tracks. Then you also get a DVD of the videos, plus uh, a live appearances, extra stuff that they've done kind of thing, you know, plus just a really glossy booklet that really, in, you know, into yeah. liner notes and everything you ever wanted. I mean, with Madonna, you could have, of course, you know, you know extra, extra CDs of remixes, remixes, remixes. That's what I want to see. That's what we need and deserve, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I, I would love if, I mean, 30 years for Erotica and that album is her least streamed album on streaming platforms it's like we need i I want a high definition of the girly show um concert film i want you know i mean i've been seeing mary lambert who did um the like a prayer video for madonna she's been on twitter because rick apparently warner brothers released the high def version of rick astley's latest you know like old school videos where's madonna's yeah, and that's the thing. Exactly. As a male artist, this wouldn't have happened, I tend to think. I mean, you know, she's up there with the Bruce Springsteen's, the Princes. They have all had, like, you know, such great care of their back catalogue. Yeah. The care that Madonna's had, you know. Certainly, now she's back at Warner's. She, should, she deserves that. I mean, this week, for example, it's been very interesting. We had this, I would call it a dump rather than a drop, of the American Pie remixes. Why now? I mean, 
it's 22 years, it's not 20 years, it's not 21 years, it's not 25 years. What, what's the reasoning? It doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to me. It just seems so strange, you know. And then also it's the 10th anniversary this week of MDNA, but not a sign of any deluxe edition, not a sign of any word of anything to that, which really, you know, just floors me because there's some great remixes there that, you know, need to be dug up and you know, put out there. That's for sure, I'd say. Yeah, I think I think what happened was they her team must have been on a plan to release a bunch of like the remixes of previous singles before the Warner Brothers deal took on. And then I think, so they're still probably on a schedule of sorts, which is why I think American Pie got out, but they probably yeah. shelved some other things because yeah, they, they, know seem to have, like, they seem to have mixed and moved stuff around. Like I mentioned in the book that this one was planned for release and that didn't happen, or suddenly this one popped yeah, out yeah. and this, this one didn't. I mean, it's nice to have these remixes. And obviously, you know, the big thing is, you know, we've had these Frozen remixes um, you know, that she's doing now. So uh, um, I know we, we wanted to mention talking about that as well. And uh, Frozen yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we, we get to that, I mean, I just wanted to add that, like that you guys are right. I mean, what what's going on with these remixes that are being dropped is that they're actually not being released by Warner Brothers. They're licensed to Rhino, which Rhino, is, yeah, um, which is their, their strategic marketing arm, basically. Yeah. Exactly. So um, they have been on a schedule. Like, for example, they were supposed to release the uh, Love Don't Live Here Anymore, and those got shelved. And yeah. uh, there was another one. There needs to be a coordinated approach, and this is my issue. Yeah. And this is also my, my beef with Madonna on social media. Look, if you want to keep putting pictures of yourself on the toilet, okay, I, that's your thing. But you know, if you're also <laughs> release, if you're also releasing one of your records. Why not promote that? Why not say something about that mm -hmm. instead? I mean, that's, you know, this is what social media for me is what Madonna should be using it for, yeah. you know, promoting all the stuff that's coming out and she's doing rather than another picture of on the toilet, basically. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't think she even knows about the Rhino releases. I think that those which are is, kind which of is like really a sad, thought, you know, you know? which yeah. is really mm -hmm. sad because I would hope that she's involved in that. You know, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully, you know, she must at some point or her team must have, you know, given the yes to that, I would hope. So she needs to be more involved with it, really. Don't, that's yeah. the sort of stuff. You don't pass off to other people. You need to be in control of that. It's your legacy. Yeah, I, al I always imagine her assistant comes and drops a stack of papers in the morning. And he's like, okay, Madonna, are you going to sign off on the, you know, misspelled who's that girl vinyl this year for Record Store Day? <laughs> and she's like, sure, sign off on to the next one, you know? She's like, yeah. what about, you know, the Rhino American? Oh, those are out? Okay, sure, boom. And then she's yeah. on to the next thing. That's how I think yeah. she's... She's busy writing a movie. Yeah. She's got other things <laughs> to do you know, you know but listen while your legacy you know take your legacy seriously please because you know oh yeah it, no it really is important this stuff you know that's the thing because you know it's it will define you as an artist i mean this year is a bit, such an important year because it's 40 years since she started yeah. recording music basically so this is you know a milestone year when people are looking back at her that catalogue, which is, you know, why the book has come out now kind of thing. So, you know, you want to make sure that your house is in order, basically, when this is all happening. Exactly. And you've got your, your biopic on the way, which will lead people to go through all your back catalogue, too. Exactly. From your mouth to the goddess's ears. I mean, while we're talking about the remixes, I wanted to um, just say that your exhaustive research 
shows <laughs> because in the book, I mean, it's like every detail about every remix is there. And I even learned a lot about, you know, some unreleased Good. things that I didn't well, know. I, I, some, of us, and, some of us actually say to me, you know, maybe your next release should be Madonna remix by remix, because actually you could do yeah. it on that because, you know, some of those songs have 10, 12 remixes. So just yeah. make yeah. you remix them by themselves is kind of a book in itself, really. Exactly, especially after we get the the fifty uh, number one dance hits collection. But yeah, let's let's talk about the current Frozen remixes and the videos that are being released. I know yeah. there's one that's been announced. What yeah. what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on this? You know, third well, act Frozen, career. <laughs> Frozen is my favorite Madonna song of all time, and it probably will be my favorite Madonna song of all time. So for me, it's untouchable. Having said that, I'm open to hearing other versions of it. And hearing the Fireboy version, I have to say, you know what? It's taken what is a very haunting, sad song. He's actually made it even sadder. This heartbreak rap, if you listen to it, you know, he's taken and made it really sort of really sad kind of thing, which is yeah. quite interesting and is true to the original nature of the song. And you know, it sounds like there's going to be more pros and remixes to come as well. What it did, though, was it reminded me to go back and listen to all the other Frozen remixes, which I'd totally forgotten about or hadn't listened to yeah. years. And I rediscovered the Stereo MCs remix, which is so I amazing. I love that one. And I love that it, one. It's, it's the one that has dated so well. The other, the Victor Calderoni one, not so well, but this Stereo no, MCs. No, but I rediscovered the... Amazing. Yeah. I rediscovered the widescreen mix. I, I listen to it like every day because I love the opening and it just, it's such a beautiful representation of that song. And, and yeah, you're it's absolutely right. It's a bit isn't it? Yeah. yeah, you can remix Frozen till the cows come home as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly. I, I love the fact that, you know, it's bringing the song to a new generation. Hopefully people will then discover that and go back to the original Frozen because you know, it's such a great record. And you know, it, that album it comes from is such a beautiful piece of work. You know, it's, there's a reason why that is the greatest Madonna album of all time, if not one of the greatest pop albums of all time, because you just listen to that from start to finish, and that is truly yeah. a work of art. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us about some of your favorite Madonna remixes. I know you mentioned that one night you were in Ibiza just minding your own business in the middle of a dance floor, <laughs> as, one as, as one does, and then all of a sudden you hear something familiar coming out of the speakers. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this was in, it was either end of September, beginning of October 2019. So it literally would have been like before the Ibiza party season closed down, which obviously hasn't reopened since then. You know, it hasn't even reopened this year. So it was kind of like the last great gasp of, uh, of dancing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think my mom was having a big, a big birthday there. So I went there for, to Ibiza for that. And um, it was the Glitterbox event. And they had headline acts like Basement Jacks and I think um, oh, wow. Chemical Brothers were on the bill. So lots of big names. And Honey Dijon was on the bill too. And that's who I was excited about because, you know, yeah. I heard the, the I Don't Search, I Find, which I think is the best piece of Madonna, the best Madonna record since Confessions on a Dance Floor. And I just thought she got, she got it so right on that remix. So I was so happy to see her on the bill. I thought, I've got to go and listen to her. So I went to find her, and she was playing in what I think you could probably best describe as a glorified toilet downstairs. Hmm. I mean, there was, there was sweat dripping from the walls. Well, I presume it was sweat. And um, <laughs> she, was wearing, she was wearing her tank top, giving it some in the middle of this little area where people were all sort of dancing around her and her posse and stuff. And what does she do? She plays, she drops this amazing house mix of Vogue 
And I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever heard. So of course I switched on my phone and recorded like two minutes of it as you would. And I thought, yeah, that's my moment kind of thing. You know, this is my honey Dijon moment kind of thing. So when I heard that she was, that she was involved in Madonna's, you know, 50 number one dance hits project, I was like, yes, this is the match that was meant to be. This is perfect. We don't need Mike Dean. We don't need Diplo. No, no, no. We need honey Dijon. This is what needs to happen here, basically. Let's hope this is where it's going to go. So if you listen to this mix of Vogue, it basically, she's put a Vogue acapella over the top of, uh, Royal House's Can You Party, which is a, a club hit from 1988, which is written and produced by yep. Todd Terry. Um, oh my God, you're very, so good. <laughs> it's also very, but that, that song is also very famous for another reason, because that same year, it became the first record which uh, was combined rap and house and had a hit. It was called Hip House back then. So you might remember mm -hmm. this track from the Jungle Brothers' I'll House You. That's where it was. Girl, I'll house you. Yeah, Girl, I'll house you. Girl, I'll house you. I love that song. That's the one. So, yeah, so it's, <laughs> that's a really seminal classic house tune. So then to have the Vogue track stuck on the top of this, perfection. That's all I could say, yeah. Yeah, I think you had sent it to us uh, before we chatted today, and it is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I never use this word lightly, but I was gagging. I was like, yeah. this, is, this is so... I, it makes me so hopeful for maybe an inclusion in the upcoming remix collection. Yeah. If not, um, I want Honey Dijon to be like Shep Pettibone in Immaculate Collection and just do everything. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, what, what we all wanted Shep Pettibone to have done for the whole of you, the You Can Dance remix album, which you should have done, basically. Yeah. 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 We, um, uh, I, I think if Honey Dijon is going to go that direction uh, with the 50 dance remixes, fans will be pleasantly pleased. I think that would be wonderful to have someone come in and like, not just give us the remixes that already exist, but like totally mm -hmm. reinventing these songs and like yeah. just a, a total like throwdown of, of these tracks. I would, yeah. uh, I would be remiss if other people out there in the world didn't get a chance to listen to this. <laughs> Honey Dijon Vogue remix. So hang hang around at the end of the episode, mm -hmm. people, and and maybe you'll get a little special treat. Hint hint. Uh, <laughs> Stefan, this reminds me of when the uh, Offer Nissim uh, Israeli rave remix of uh, of God Control. Of oh God my Control God. was floating around, and you're like, yeah, maybe somewhere, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Have I, you, I, you've I, heard, Mark, you've heard that, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, look, I was dancing to that at some dance floor somewhere or other. It was from it might have even been Tel Aviv, I don't, I don't know, but uh, that's, a shame, that's, a shame, that's a shame that that one didn't come out, because that was a great remix too, I mean, Offenism really oh, did yeah. me amazing work with Madonna, I mean, his, his remix of Medellin, I mean, anyone who can amazing. take what is, it is basically some kind of, you know, spicy reggaeton cha-cha song, and turn it into Egyptian disco, and make it sound cool <laughs> and amazing, that's truly, you know, that's a gift. That is truly gift. We love yeah. a DJ that takes us on a musical journey, but Offernism every time takes us to somewhere exotic and somewhere where there's trance music playing all day. Yeah, I felt yeah. his offers, offers remixes for the Madame X era were just like right on point. Like he, yeah. I, he just got that album. I, I just, it's amazing how. He did. And he took it to an he took it to the next level. I mean, you know, he even got a writer's credit, I believe, on the Medellin remix because, you know, he basically added in that bit from the video. And then, you know, there's yeah. a whole, 
there's a whole different sound and vibe on the record that really has nothing to do with what's on the Madden X album, you know, and that's, that's being, yeah. that's being more than just a remake. So that's really being a, a re, that's reproducing basically. Yeah. It kind of reminds me in tone to the uh, Miami mixes of don't cry for me, Argentina, because it was just a complete rework and it took yeah. you, it took you right there. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you look, it would be amazing. Why doesn't she dial up Shep Pettibone and say, Shep, come in and see what else you can do on some of these things? I mean, you know, Shep's just running some place, you know, a gay resort in New Jersey. You know, he must have a bit of spare time in his hands. I mean, how amazing would that be? Surely, Shep, come on, reviews a couple of tunes for me. Who wouldn't love that? I know. He doesn't even have time to be on our show. So, I mean, yeah, he must tried. be We've very, tried. very busy. I, I'm telling you, this summer, I'm going to stop by his place in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and I'm just going to be like... Uh, hello, Chef. <laughs> we, we want you on the show. Exactly. Well, Waiting for you. <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary of the erotica. It's the 30th anniversary of this used to be my playground. You know, Chef, it's a big time kind of thing. I do remember mm-hmm. interviewing Chef, Chef for, um, for Smash Hits uh, at the, when Vogue came out. And also I think I interviewed him when uh, Rescue Me came out as well because Madonna wasn't doing interviews, so we got Chef Pettibone. And I remember um, asking him about Vogue and him saying, oh, you know, I didn't understand why Madonna wanted to do that. It was just so passe, I thought, you know, kind of thing, when she decided to do this. But, you know, luckily she did. And also the other thing I think yeah. interesting with Vogue, which, you know, obviously we talk about in the book, is, you know, it was originally a B-side. You know, imagine if Madonna had gone with her original plan for that to be a B-side. If someone at Warner Music had not been you know, clever enough and smart enough to say to Madonna, no, 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 this is going to be your next thing that's going to launch your tour, your album, your movie kind of thing, you know, we wouldn't be here probably talking about Madonna on this podcast if that song had been no. I said, I think. Right, because Vogue was, I mean, that song was everywhere in 1990. Yeah. Like, I, it was every hour on the hour on local radio for like two weeks the, when it came yeah. out, and it was everywhere. I want to tell you a really interesting story, that I, I, if I can as well, if that's all right, about Vogue. Um, I mean, this is also from 2019 when I, I went to a wedding in Bulgaria, of all places, and um, I, I, my friend asked me to do the music for it. And we, the wedding was held in the mountains in um, middle of nowhere in Bulgaria, like where these tiny little villages are. And uh, we had this big uh, dance party there with all the friends and so on. And all these Bulgarian women, peasant women, were brought in to help out with the food and the serving and everything. And, and when the dancing started, they just stayed to watch. And when Vogue came on, they rushed to the dance floor, all these <laughs> Bulgarian peasant women, and started voguing. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And afterwards, I said to my friend, I said, what, what is this? And they said, this was one of the very first songs that we ever heard, a Western song in 1990 when the war came down and when, uh, you know, we, the Soviets had left kind of thing. This is a song of freedom for us. So that's what this song oh, means. Voguing wow. means freedom for us East Europeans. And that's why it's such a great, important song for us. All right, I'm going to go cry for a minute and that's I'll beautiful. be right back. <laughs> Well, so Mark, I want to, you had, you brought up confessions uh, a, a couple of minutes ago, and I, I do wanted to ask you about this. You apparently have uh, some unique swag and giveaways that you've received throughout the years. <laughs> I, I've heard a rumor that there's a confessions disco ball that was gifted to you by Warner Brothers. Uh, yes, what? we want can pigs we, or it didn't happen. Yeah, can we talk about this? What is this? Well, this is my prize position, and I have to tell you, it's still at some friend's place, I hope so in Australia because obviously I haven't, been able, I, haven't, I haven't been able to get to Australia for three years because Australia's been literally landlocked for the last two years so when I go back in June I'm hopefully it's still there still intact but when so when confessions uh, all the journalists were asked to come and review the record we were given this big box and uh, it was 
I remember it was decorated like the album cover on the outside. And then when you opened it up, inside was a big mirror ball, which, of course, you know, you would imagine. Now, this mirror ball sits on a cone, and I don't know how it does this. It defies gravity, but there's a button that you push, and it spins around. It's on this little globe kind of thing like this. So you actually have your own little, you know, confessions on the dance floor mirror ball going, swirling around you kind of thing. It's insane. It's amazing. And it's something that I, I treasure that almost as much as my patchouli candle that I got in 1989 for Like a Prayer. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I've been, I've been coveting that disco ball since I first saw it. Yeah, it's, it rests on this, um, it looks like a party hat. It's, um, yeah, 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 exactly. It has an M on it. I mean, it's, it's so well. Well done. I was like, why can't we have this attention to detail in every album? Exactly. Rollout? Why can't we have this when it's time for the confessions, you know, uh, uh, special edition? This is kind of what we need to have, you know, to get you in the shop. Mm-hmm. This is the special, special edition. Get the free mirror ball, kids. Yeah, seriously. I, I want, I would love some fresh merch, you know, like I, there are some erotica t-shirts that I would love to buy. There's some Ray of Light merch that I'd love to get, you know, like just yeah. give it to me, give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to me, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a great stuff. Being a journalist, I have to say, you know, you get so much stuff given to you. And also, you know, back in the 80s and 90s in particular, when record companies had huge budgets, you know, they would just throw so much stuff at you, take you on trips all around the globe. I mean, I did so many different mm-hmm. trips here and there just to, to interview different people. I mean, that stuff just does not exist now. That world, you know, just died. as Literally, as soon as Napster happened, that world disappeared so quickly, like you wouldn't yeah. believe it. So yeah. it's a whole era that doesn't exist that people can't really even understand that anymore. Yeah, uh, in your book, there's a couple of items that um, are extremely limited and hard to find that I actually did not even know about one of them. For example, there's the bed sto- the bedtime story CD single book with these amazing illustrations and the lyrics. I mean, I yeah. never knew that existed, and I found out about it in your book. And then also... Um, you know, I, I'd completely forgotten about it until I read about it again, was the uh, extended remixes of Confessions that came out on four different vinyls. That just kind of, like, appeared. And, yeah, it went under the radar, didn't and, it, kind of thing. So, like, exactly, oh, DJs, yeah. DJs put out about this and everyone else, oh, if you, if you discover it, then good. But otherwise, who knew about it kind of thing, yeah. There were only 1,500 copies made, so it's like, you know, they're probably all out there, but, you know, this is something that should be released in streaming or on CD because it, I think it's incre- incredibly important to the Confessions era. It is. It's part of the legacy. I mean, all of those really, I mean, that's the album in particular because, you know, look, it's it's the dance disco album kind of thing, so you want all those kind of those remixes, those standard versions. That's kind of what you want in there. You want the the good times to keep going, basically, and they, you know, not to mm-hmm. stop, basically. So in the making of your book, I mean, how already, you know, being a Madonna fan since the beginning, like Stefan and I, there's a lot that you already know. There's a lot that you take for granted, but then there's a lot that maybe we were misinformed uh, through rumor and innuendo in the 80s and 90s because there was nothing to, uh, you know, we weren't able to um, corroborate the facts, I guess. So did you learn anything new in your research or was there anything that you thought was canon that turned out to be incorrect or false? Look, there's lots of stuff. um, I mean, look, there's so much information out there, which is great now. And also, obviously, there's information which is out there now which wasn't available, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So, you know, you're finding out all these things now, which, you know, back then nobody had any idea about. Um, what, I mean, I, I thought I knew everything because, you know, I've written all these magazines and been such a Madonna fan. So when I was really researching every single track, um, 
it was great because I really had to focus on finding the best information, curating the best information about each song. So there were certain things that even I didn't know. I think in particular, the, the thing that um, I didn't know was for uh, on the I'm Breathless soundtrack, um, there's the song Back in Business. You know, I didn't really, you know, when I was doing the research, I, I went to the songtimes.com website and they had all this information, which I never knew, uh, that actually, you know, he'd had to rewrite, he'd written a new song called Back in Business because Warren Beatty and his, and Disney didn't like Madonna's version. And that's why it wasn't, it was dropped from the movie and this new one was put on in place instead at the last minute. So that's why there's actually two Back in Businesses from Dick Tracy. So that was something I didn't know as well. And what I also wanted to do with the book was make sure that it was contextual as well. So you get an understanding of what's going on in Madonna's life then. You know, why is this single picture? Why is this happening? Why, why is this song important? Is it because, well, she's going through the middle of a terrible custody battle. That's why this song has such significance, for example. Um, or another, another thing may be, why did Madonna never work then with Stuart Price again? He should do this amazing record and yet nothing. They didn't work it together again. You know, what, why is that? And so, Working on what I know and, and uh, the story kind of thing, you, you, you'll read it in the book then, what the probable reason is for that kind of thing. But, you know, just trying to source that kind of stuff and, and make a point to that without trying to be gossipy and tabloidy, but, you know, sure. but, being, yeah. but giving you an informed view that this is what's happening in Madonna's life. And also, let's not forget that from 1989 onwards, with Madonna basically puts her life on the record, you know, so often quite coded, but it's on there. So, you know, it's, it's looking at the codes, looking at what's going on in her life. What is she trying to say? Who is she talking about? With Whose person is this, the baby that she's talking about here then? Could it be Warren Beatty's baby? Is it Sean Penn's baby? You know, who both had babies at this time? That kind of stuff, you know. So giving you a bit of contextual uh, information then, I think that makes your, your understanding of the track much, much more informed then. So, hey, Stefan, I think it's time for our favorite part of the podcast. What do you oh, say? Oh, everyone loves your favorite part of the podcast. Uh, so, Mark, <laughs> uh, every guest on our show gets a little something we call the lightning round. It's just something <laughs> meant to be off the top of your head. Wherever you're at in your Madonna journey today, don't think overthink it too much. Favorite Madonna song? It's Frozen. Favorite Madonna music video? Uh, favorite Madonna music video? Um, there's so many, but Vogue. But yeah, good one. Favorite Madonna tour? Uh, the Girly Show. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, favorite Madonna movie? Uh, Desperately Seeking Susan. Nice. And favorite Madonna look? And it can be from a photo shoot, a video, in person. The one I'm wearing, of course. Madonna is the leather ah, man. So Madonna of Finland. Madonna of Finland, exactly. That's the one, yeah, of course. You know, look, here she is again, you know, taking something from, you know, gay culture and bringing it to the mainstream and yet making it her own. I mean, that's the beauty of Madonna, definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a totally. procreation. It feels like, you know, she knows this, she understands, she gets this, and it's cool, yeah. Well, she's almost normalizing it, I feel. Uh, like uh, a lot of people do criticize her for appropriation uh, of sorts, and I think it's more of, Madonna making it look normal, you know, mm -hmm. Madonna sort of embracing it and saying, yes, this is okay. This is, this exactly. you are okay. And to, and, to, look, and to Madonna, where she came from, from the New York club roots, I mean, you know, hanging around with all the gay boys, Martin Burgoyne, her gay best friend. I mean, you know, it's all the stuff that she's gone through. You know, she, that's her culture. I mean, that's where she came from. You know, she was queer before there was queer, basically. Let's not forget that. Right. 
Amazing. Well, Mark, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I, w I just decided that when we get the uh, release of the 50 number one dance hits, we'll have you back so we can kind of go over that. I think that would be fun. Be track, by track, track by track analysis. And, and also, a little budgie told me that you're working on a book about Kylie Minogue, who is like one of my goddesses too. So please yeah. tell us what we can expect and when that will be out. And, and yeah, just kind of Tell us how much you love Kylie. Okay, well, I mean, look, the, the, the Kylie one is the same format, the song-by-song song format. So actually, the way I came to this is by a friend of mine wrote the ABBA song-by-song, song, Ian Cole, who's the world's oh. leading band of clarity on ABBA. So he wrote the ABBA book. And he came to me and he said, look, I love the work that you've done on Smash Hits and for DNA, that's the gay glossy magazine in Australia I write for. And he said, I love what you do. Can you help me with this? And so I said, sure. So um, that's how I came to this format, and then I thought, yeah, I'd really love to read the Madonna one of this, and then there wasn't one, so I ended up writing it, and then went into lockdown, six months later came out, and uh, then I said, I could probably write you a Kylie Minogue one as well to the publisher, and they said, oh, that's great, and then it went to the next lockdown, so that was the next six months, so here they are, they're, they're both coming out, the Madonna one's out now, and the Kylie one comes out next year. I think what's interesting for um, Madonna fans, though, in terms of Kylie, is Kylie was always a Madonna fan, you know, she was as a, as a kid, I mean, she and her sister's performance on. What's really important, though, to know is that it's the Like a Prayer album that really turned uh, Kylie from just a pop singer into a an artist. Because when she heard that yeah. album, according to Mike Stock from Stockhead Waterman, that in, that she heard that and she said, "I want to write songs too now." So what did she do? Mm -hmm. She went and grabbed Stephen Bray, of course, and wrote a couple yeah. of songs mm -hmm. on her Rhythm of Love album, which came out in 1990. That's the beginning of Kylie as the artist. And if she hadn't done that, if that's thanks to Madonna, if she hadn't probably done that, that probably, Madonna, uh, Kylie probably wouldn't have had the career that she has now, where she went on to work with Nick Cave and Coldplay and Pet Shop yeah, Boys. Sure. And, you know, they're still having number one albums in the UK and Australia to this day kind of thing. So, you know, her story is very interesting. You know, her journey is very interesting, where she's come from. I mean, she started, you know, she was doing a, she was a, a mechanic on a TV soap opera. She went from that to being, a, you know, the princess of pop. That's quite a journey, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we could talk about Kylie all day, but yeah, I, when that book comes <laughs> out, I will absolutely get it. Um, yeah, and I also want to let everyone know, especially our American listeners, if you want to get Mark's book, I bought mine from Amazon.co.uk. And um, yeah, Mark, tell everyone else where they can find your book and other channels and where they can find you on social media. Okay, I mean, look, the book should be available um, worldwide now, globally. So uh, also, Font Hill Media is the publisher. So if you just want to go directly to their website, you can order it there as well. I think in Australia, it's probably coming out a little bit later in July. But if you want to order through overseas, if you can afford to get it, if you can't wait, then you can get it from the UK or the US ahead of time. Uh, the best place to find me, really, is probably Poptastic on Facebook. Send me a message there if you're interested or, um, you know, I'm kind of, around on Facebook, that kind of thing. So if anyone needs to catch me, I'm not so social media. I mean, I'm certainly not Madonna when it comes to social media. I mean, I kind of think, you know <laughs> what? I hope not. I don't, you don't need pictures of me in the toilet, that's for sure, on my social media. So um, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm, I'm just so old school. I'm kind of like, if I've got something to promote, oh, I've got something to say, I'll put it. Otherwise, I'm going to go outside and sum with my husband and my dogs, basically. Uh, well, and remember, everyone, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MLVC Podcast. Please feel free to donate to the podcast on Venmo at MLVC Podcast or think about becoming a subscriber on patreon.podbean.com forward slash MLVC Podcast. Help keep quality episodes like this 
keep coming in the future. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute delight. I loved your book. I l- I'm going to go and start looking at all of your Facebook posts because um, I want to see some of those those Nick Kamen articles. And uh, remember to uh, to stick around because you might hear a little something something in, in a couple seconds. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, everybody. Talk to you later.